Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva paper towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. Welcome to the NFL show on the Grueling True Sports Network. Our show is brought to you by the Plunging Care and Technologies, specifically the PEMF machine, whether you're young or old. PEMF machine can help you heal quicker and recover better. My name is Sam Peets. Obviously, I'm without my usual co-host, my good pastor today. He's probably watching the Cincinnati Reds game right now. I mean, they're in the playoffs. He doesn't get to see them in the playoffs very often, so he's enjoying that. I think they lost what well, I think they lost 1-0 in 13 innings yesterday. So he's probably gonna be around that game for a while. So he's not here today for that reason. As disappointing as it is, but we're just gonna roll on and you know, hope the Cincinnati Reds lose to the Atlanta Braves and see how that goes with them. But we do have some interesting NFL news to talk about today. Because We'll be, previewing, we'll be previewing Thursday Night Football. We'll talk about how COVID-19 is altering the NFL schedule. And we also have to get through some news from Marlon Humphrey and the Baltimore Ravens because their secondaries were made. And if we have time, we will also discuss some players who I consider disappointing or have had disappointing first quarters of the season so far. But let's open with the main story of the day. It's the Steelers-Titans game, which was originally scheduled for Sunday, although Several Tennessee players tested positive for COVID-19 after last week's game. So they pushed it back. They were deciding between they want to do it either on Monday or on Tuesday night. And now it came out this morning that an additional player, I think it's the fifth one, the fifth player for Tennessee Titans has tested positive for COVID-19. So that game is now officially being moved. Well, it's being postponed indefinitely in a sense. It's not being played this week. It's not playing early next week. From the sounds of it, the best possibility or the most logical possibility is that they'll play week seven. Week seven is Tennessee's projected bye week. So they'll play week seven. They'll shift Baltimore and Pittsburgh, the game that's supposed to be played week seven, to week eight, because both those teams have bye weeks in week eight. You'll see Tennessee-Pittsburgh week seven, Baltimore-Pittsburgh week eight. And I have a couple of issues with this changing the schedule. And it's not that I don't think COVID-19 is serious. I do. It's not that I don't want the NFL to predict players. I do. But the same point, Pittsburgh has, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So as a diehard fan, I'm upset that they're moving this game because the Steelers had a really good schedule. I mean, a bye week, week eight, that's smack dab in the middle of the season. That's perfect. We're talking about injuries. It's perfect. We're talking about recovery and just getting set for the second half of the year. So week eight bye week is ideal. And I thought it was a perfect situation for Pittsburgh. Now you're going to have a week four bye week. I mean, that's just insane to me because that's so early in the season. You have so many more games left afterwards, 13 games you have to play with nonstop, like nonstop, no rest. And to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think the NFL – I mean, they're in a tough situation. This is really the only decision they can make if they want to keep their usual dates for the playoffs and things like that. Personally, some Steelers fan, I would push to do everything in the power to keep Pittsburgh to have that week eight by, even if it meant putting in an extra week of football just to let some games. I'm sure there will be other games postponed. This probably won't be the only one. We're only three weeks in. So I would assume there will be other games this season that's going to be postponed as well. Even if I'm not building in another week of football, a regular season football, to account for these games that could be pushed back because of COVID-19, I would much rather do that as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan than take a bye week in week four and play out the rest of the year. Because so far, Pittsburgh's been all right. They've been fairly healthy. The offensive line's been banged up to some degree. But usually, for the most part, 
compared to some teams, they've been healthy. But you do, having 13 games in a row, plus playoffs, because I'm assuming we're going to make the playoffs, 3-0 start, first time since they made the last time they made the Super Bowl and played Green Bay Packers. So they've been really good historically, so when they start 3-0, I would assume that it's going to be at least a playoff team, because we got Big Ben back this year. Last season, they just barely missed the playoffs with Mason Rudolph and Devin Hodges at quarterback. So obviously, playoff aspirations are well within reach for Pittsburgh this year. But 13 games in a row, going straight into the playoffs probably, that's harsh. I mean, even, even for the best teams in the NFL, that would be difficult. And doing it as Pittsburgh, a team that still has a lot of question marks, a team that's had injury issues, maybe not so much this year so far, but definitely in the past. I mean, we have plenty of players who have dealt with injuries. I mean, talk about James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, banged it last year. Ben Rosberg is coming off a season where he missed basically the entire year. So injuries have been a, a severe issue with Pittsburgh in the past. You're now asking them to play 13 games in a row. And Mike Tomlin came out and said, you know, we don't care. Well, I mean, yeah, I do. you have to say that because you really don't have another option. You can, I understand Pittsburgh Artillers have a tough mentality. They have a next man up mentality. They've gone through this once last year already. So they can't understand how it's like to be in a tricky situation with injuries or just with scheduling difficulties. But 13 games, you can't tell me that the players are not going to care when they hit the final game of the season after they've been playing 13 games in a row. I mean, you can't tell me that that's not going to add a little extra stress and wear on your bodies to the point where you might not be in prime shape come playoffs. So as a Steelers fan, I don't like this move because, again, you're putting Pittsburgh at a huge disadvantage here, and it's not even the Pittsburgh's fault in this situation. It's not Tennessee's fault either because this thing spreads so fast. I understand that you can't be expected to prevent it from spreading to at least some members of the team, some members of the staff because of how large football teams are and how large the staffs are and how easily this thing is spread. But at the same point, no player in the Steelers is just a positive. No players in the Vikings who played the Tennessee Titans last week have tested positive. It's only been Tennessee staff and Tennessee players. And now Pittsburgh, in a sense, is getting punished because it really is a sort of punishment to have a bye week in week four and have to basically forfeit your bye week in week eight. They're being punished because Tennessee now is in trouble. And again, it's not Tennessee's fault. It's not the fault of the players or staff necessarily. But it's certainly a Tennessee problem, not a Pittsburgh problem. And now Pittsburgh's getting dragged into the situation. So... It's unfortunate we couldn't play. I mean, I would have loved to have a Tuesday night game, honestly. Just expand it. And the more nights of football, the better. But after another positive test came back this morning, they have ruled out playing on Monday. They've ruled out playing on Tuesday. They're basically saying, look, you're going to take your bye week this week. We're both Tennessee and Pittsburgh. And we're just going to push this game back, push smash it back to week eight or week uh, seven. Again, I'm not – in total agreement with this move, I understand. I don't want players playing when there's a possibility they could transmit COVID to other guys. I want the Steelers to stay as healthy as possible. I've definitely emphasized that. So I don't want them playing Tennessee if there's a chance some player might get COVID-19. But it is, it is really frustrating because Pittsburgh's got a 3-0 start. I would have picked Pittsburgh to beat Tennessee this week. I think they're on a hot streak. I, you want that hot streak to continue, too. I would rather, much rather have a bye week after a losing game than have a bye week after winning a game. Because when you've got that power and you get that streak going, it's important to carry that momentum going forward. And Pittsburgh, like I said, 3 0 starts. The first time they've done this since I think, believe 2010 was the year when they played the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. So it's the first time in a decade they've done this. And now they're just going to cut it short, basically cut the momentum off entirely because of COVID 19. And again, COVID 19's wrecked all kinds of elements of society. I mean, I'm at college right now, I'm in my dorm. I've been selected for random mandatory testing two out of three, two in the last three days, which is, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit crazy, but 
I'm certainly living in a different kind of society right now, so I understand that you have to do things you normally wouldn't to accommodate COVID-19 and all these issues. But at the same point, it's extremely frustrating as a Steelers fan to lose the huge advantage you had of a week eight by a tremendous schedule, the momentum you have with three wing football games in a row. The best thing that could come out of this is Pittsburgh does have some guys banged up. I know Deontay Johnson got a little banged up last week against Houston. Uh, some guys along the offensive line has some injury issues. So hopefully get all those guys back. And I think they're most, for the most part, minor injuries. I know guys like Zach Banner are done for the year. But get the people with minor injuries, get them back, get them healthy. Maybe fix the secondary. Because the secondary, which was a strong suit at Pittsburgh last year, they've been mediocre at best so far this year. They gave, what, three touchdowns to the Houston Texans in the first half last game. Micah Fitzpatrick's been nowhere to be seen. Terrell Evans has been Terrell Evans. He's average at best. Joe Hayden is looking old. Steven Nelson got uh, he got inexcusably beat for a touchdown last Sunday. I think Mike Hilton missed the game, I'm pretty sure. Or no, it wasn't Hilton. It was Sutton, I think, missed the game. But we'll get him back probably for week five. It's just frustrating overall. So we were in a hot streak. We were doing really well. The secondary, though, has been an issue. So hopefully this extra week will give us time to address that. Because Ryan Tannehill, who again will be playing in week seven now, and just an underrated quarterback. I think this so far this year is probably the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the NFL in terms of how well he's played. And that team comes in, coming out of my mouth that doesn't sound right, but it honestly is. You look at the numbers and look at how Tennessee's performing. He really has been a top six, top five quarterback so far this year. It's not just Derrick Henry. I'm not really worried about Derrick Henry, though, because Pittsburgh has shut down Denver's run game, most for the most part with Melvin Gordon. I know he did get like 70 yards, but he didn't have a breakout game. Saquon Barkley actually shut down entirely. David Johnson in Houston got shut down entirely. So I'm not really worried about containing Derrick Henry. I think he'll get probably 50, 60 yards, maybe 70, because he's just so good. But Pittsburgh has a defensive front to, to just manhandle Tennessee's offensive line. And we don't know what Taylor Lewan State will be. I know he left the game for Tennessee this past week, so he might have a backup left tackle in place there. Come week eight, come week, sorry, week seven. I keep messing this up. Come week seven, maybe he'll be healthy again, but we don't know. I'm not worried about Derrick Henry. I'm really worried about what Ryan Tannehill can do in the passing game. I would assume A.J. Brown has been hurt and banged up a little bit early in the year will be healthy by week seven. And he'll be able to play for them. That gives Tennessee their best receiving option back. I would be a little concerned about that. I'm much more worried about Ryan Tannehill than Derrick Henry. Tennessee's defense is eh. – I mean, they're, they're Tennessee's defensive front and defense has always been claimed to be very good. I think it's a little bit of an embellishment. I don't think they're great. I think they're an average, but slightly above average defense. The secondary is yeah, guys like Kevin Byer back there. They have some good players, Malcolm Butler, Adore Jackson. But at the same point, it's not a star-studded secondary. The linebacking core, it's solid, but it's not fantastic. You know, defensive line, and you know you add to Damian Clown, you have Harold Landry there already, uh, Vic Beasley. It's a good group. Again, not an elite group. And I think they really get hot week to week necessarily. They don't have the constant production that superstar defenses do. This past week, they gave up 30 points to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings almost won the game. And they've been struggling. They've been doing terribly for the first two weeks. So Tennessee's defense is a little overhooked, in my opinion. I'm not so worried about that matchup. Although Ben has the propensity to throw interceptions sometimes. He's a bit of a gunslinger. So I'm a little concerned about that. I think turnovers could be a big factor in that game, although they really are in every game, we're being honest. But yeah, Pittsburgh, Tennessee pushed back to week seven. I'm not happy about it. Pittsburgh Steelers fans shouldn't be happy about it, but there's nothing we can really do. This is just how it is. 
we have to accept that and move forward. Pittsburgh now has a bye week in week four, which means they get to tune in and watch football on Thursday, Sunday, and Monday stress-free and not have to worry about how the Steelers are going to turn out and potentially make the game a close one when they really should be a blowout anyways. But that's really the highlight news of the day. Another thing I just want to throw out here, Marlon Humphrey has signed a significant contract extension with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm pulling it right now. I don't know where – I wrote it down somewhere, but I don't know where it is. There's – he has signed a five-year, $98.75 million extension, making him the second-highest-paid quarterback in the league behind Jalen Ramsey. For those of you who don't know, Ramsey basically signed a five-year, 100 to $105 million extension with the Los Angeles Rams earlier this year. He became the highest, which is the first uh, contract by a quarterback to ever be worth $100,000, $100 million. So good market for the quarterback so far this year. Marlon Humphrey is a solid player. He's the first-team all-pro this past year. But him and Marcus Peters, who's also first team all pro, they're terrific man coverage usually. But we really kind of saw them get exposed against the Kansas City Chiefs this past week. I mean, the Chiefs just torched Baltimore both on offense and on defense. And I think what we saw is that guys like Peters, especially Marcus Peters, by the way, not singling out Mark, Mar- Marlon Humphrey so much as Marcus Peters, but these guys are susceptible to speed. Tyreek Hill torched Marcus Peters at least once or twice during that game. And Peters has been beat. Deep with speed in the pass. We saw with the Rams. He got beat a couple times. I think Tyler Lockett got him once or twice during his short stint with the Rams. So this is a, a defense and a secondary susceptible to speed. They don't have Tavon Young with their nickel back. He's not there anymore. He's hurt. Well, he's not. He's there, but he's hurt. So he's not playing. You're down on Parks Peters, Marlon Humphrey. Those are your two star guys. Those are basically going to be the players from after you up against the best offensive threats that our teams have. But the, Marlon Humphrey is significantly faster than Marcus Peters. He looked like the 40 time. He's a month, like a tenth of a second or more than that faster than Peters, which for 40 times is a significant amount. He's got some speed, but again, he's not in the same classification as a prime Richard Sherman, who wasn't even that fast speaking with either. But he's not in the same class as a prime Patrick Peterson or even a prime Stephon Gilmore. He's not in that grouping. And we saw against the Chiefs that Cole Hartman, and Tyreek Hill can burn this secondary. They can burn Humphrey. They can burn Peters. And really, that's the biggest issue I think this, de- this defense is going to have moving forward. This team's going to have moving forward. It's not so much Lamar Jackson and the inconsistencies he can go through because he still has those moments, even though he's the reigning MVP. We saw that come back to bite them against Kansas City. But I think he'll have to figure it out. I think they'll fix that for if they play Kansas City in the playoffs. My issue would be, can Baltimore's defense backs, without Earl Thomas back there, at safety because he's gone now. Will this defensive backfield be able to keep up the speed of Tyreek Kill, Cole Harmon, Timmy Watkins, even Travis Kelsey? I don't think they can. I mean, they're they're ordinarily a very good defense. It's a terrific defense on paper. But you're not a defensive unit designed to keep pace with a Tyreek Kill and Cole Harmon. Very few defenses are built that way to begin with. But certainly not the one in Baltimore. And Kansas City seems to have them figured out, both on offense and defense right now. I would put more money on Lamar Jackson figuring it out and having a much better performance against Kansas City in the meeting playoffs than this defense finding out a way to deal with Tyreek Hill, Cole Harvard, Sammy Watkins. Because right now, there's a lot of money put into that Baltimore defense. There's a lot of draft picks invested in that defense. And frankly, you you don't put that much money in to get as poor a performance as you did against Kansas City out of it. That really is a situation where I think it's not worth the amount of money you're putting in, not worth the investment you put in, when that's all you're going to get in return. 
So I would be worried if I'm Baltimore. I would hope to God I'm not playing Kansas City again at any point in the playoffs because the Chiefs are just a terrible matchup for the Ravens. I think the Ravens will bounce back this week. They'll do fine. But Kansas City right now, that's the one team from Baltimore I really don't want to play. Other ones, New England, Tennessee, those are probably not the best match. They're probably not the best matchups for Baltimore either. But I think they can prevail against those teams. Kansas City, on the other hand, that's the one team I would take over Baltimore 10 times out of 10. So I think Kansas City, best team in the AFC. We went through this yesterday when we did the Grueling Truth NFL show. We talked about the league power rankings, team power rankings for the year. Kansas City is number one. I think Baltimore has an argument for being number two despite getting blown out basically against Kansas City. But there's definitely levels to this. I mean, Kansas City is just a very bad matchup for Baltimore. I do hope they meet in the playoffs because that would really give me a chance to see coaching-wise what changes. But for now, we just are left with the fact that Kansas City completely dominated Baltimore this past week. All right, that's really it for the NFL news section of the show. So now we're going to preview this terrible Thursday night football game. And really, I don't know why we even bother with Thursday nights anymore because I think what was last week's game? Was that the Miami-Jacksonville game? Why, why are we watching these? I mean, Miami-Jacksonville, realistically, they're not playoff teams. Neither is the Jets versus the Broncos. These are not playoff caliber teams. These are not even good franchises. It's not great football to watch. Now, granted, Ryan Fitzpatrick played well this past week, but I mean, realistically, do you really want to see these teams play Thursday Night Football. Do you really want to spend two and a half to three and a half hours watching this game? I really don't. I'm hoping it's over by halftime, but between these two teams, I mean, this is going to be a lot, I think, like the Cincinnati-Philadelphia game, and the narrative being that, wow, these two teams are so bad that neither one of them is going to go out and actually win the football game. It's going to come down to the wire because they're so terrible, neither one could capitalize on the mistakes of the other team. I really think that's where we're headed with this game because this has been, I mean, let's talk about Jets-Broncos. They're both only three. The Broncos are on their third-string quarterback. Drew Locke, he's hurt again. He was hurt at this one point as during his rookie season as well, which is probably the reason we only saw him for a couple of games. They've just benched Jeff Driscoll. They're on to rip, rip it. They're starting him against Sam Darnold. And Jeff Darnold, who threw two pick sixes this past week, gets the Indianapolis Colts. So what a quarterback matchup we have for tonight's game. Uh, these are two of the worst franchises in football. It's honestly probably going to be a horrible game. It's probably these two teams and the New York Giants. They're the worst teams in the NFL right now. And I really don't think it's close. I know there are probably other teams that have had bad starts, but I think these three are definitely the worst. It's a shame because Sam Darnold is not a bad quarterback. All right, coming out of USC, he was a very good prospect. I had him and Baker Mayfield as the top two prospects in quarterback in that draft. And the Jets have ruined Sam Darnold in a way that the Browns, the Browns have not necessarily ruined Baker Mayfield. Granted, he's had terrible coaching. He's never had consistency at the coaching position. But he's had great weapons. Darnold has not had great weapons. Darnold's never had great coaching. And we're looking at a chess match between two of the NFL's probably soon-to-be-fired coaches in Vic Fangio and Adam Gase tonight. If this goes to the point where it's a blowout game against the Denver Broncos, say Denver wins, I don't know, 35-14. to 14. Adam Gase needs to be fired by Friday morning. Because he's been nothing but a failure in New York so far. He really is. It's been a terrible team. The front office has been terrible. They have not built something around Sam Darnold at all. They've tried to add pieces. And when they add those pieces like Le'Veon Bell or C.J. Mosley linebacker, they either get hurt or they're away from the team. Le'Veon Bell's hurt this year when it was supposed to be a rebound year. 
CJ Mosley completely opted out of the season after playing two games this past year. And then they go out and draft someone like Mekhi Beckton, who's a decent player. He's got, I mean, he's got the physical build to carry himself well in the NFL, but he has none of the technique. You draft Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims get pushed around, gets pushed around by defensive backs in the point of catch. He was not the best wide receiver available at the time the Jets took him. And it's a situation where you used to have a terrible organization. Your scouting's been bad. Your drafting's been bad. Your free agent signings and contracts have been bad. Your ownership is bad. The New York Jets are one of the worst franchises in the NFL right now. And they're trending towards, towards the direction of Detroit Lion territory, Brown territory. They're headed that way. Washington territory. They're headed towards that group. Because they had some success at the beginning of the 2010s. They did. But we're well removed from that at this point. And I know last year they were kind of in the middle of the pack that maybe could have won the, made the playoffs just had a better start of the year and had some down the entire season. And yet they somehow added pieces this offseason and got worse as a football team. And that to me just says, you have not been able to build a cohesive unit as a team, and you have not been able to develop your young players like a Sam Darnold. And Darnold is still a quality football player who I believe could be a starter in the NFL for the next 10 years if he gets out of New York very soon. If he spends five years in New York, which I don't think he will, but probably declines fifth year option, he'll probably be there four years. If he's there four years, it might be too late to salvage his career. But let me put it this way. The step that Josh Allen took this year between being a below average quarterback to a borderline elite QB at this point, the step that Allen took was what I projected Darnold to do and what I really thought Darnold should do. The issue has been coaching, like Adam Gates. It's been personnel issues. The offensive line's terrible. Your running back is Frank Gore. Frank Gore is very old. Frank Gore should not be a starting running back. You know, as much as I love him, I think he's a future Hall of Fame player. Frank Gore should not be a starting running back in the NFL. Yeah, he is on the New York Jets because the Jets have not been able to build a roster. They have not been able to put personnel around Sam Darnold. And their best receivers – Guys like Jameson Crowder, Rashad Perryman, who shouldn't be your best wide receivers to begin with, and you are building a competitive offense, those guys have been hurt. You don't have offensive personnel put around Sam Darnold to make this young guy succeed. That's my Jets rant. I mean, the Jets are just, it's so bad. I think you could see either team win this game. This is honestly a close matchup. It's hard to pick because both organizations are so bad right now. And Vic Fangio on the other sideline, I think he should be fired after the year. I understand this is only the second season, I believe, for both Fangio and Gase as head coaches, and they both have young quarterbacks in Sam Darnold and Drew Locke who have battled injuries and other things like that in the first couple of years of their careers. But what I've seen from Fangio so far has been nothing, absolutely nothing to make me consider the fact that he could maximize potential or roster. It has talent on it to win football games. You have guys like Jared Juvie, KJ Handler, who can be difference makers. Philip Lindsay's there, though he might not play tonight. I heard his timing is doubtful for tonight's game. You got Melvin Gordon, you got Royce Freeman there. You have pieces in Denver to be a successful football team. I really think Denver's a quarterback away from being a 8 to 10 win football team. They really had the pieces this year. And injuries have kind of ruined it. Injuries, of course, Devon Miller kicked off the year. It basically signaled that Denver Broncos were just headed straight down. And it's really where they've ended up. They're 0 3. Vic Fangio should be fired after this year. I understand it's only been two seasons, and I'm not the kind of guy who supports, you know, quick trigger fires, quick trigger hires necessarily. But you can see 
and you can tell from watching football what coaches have it at this point, what coaches don't. And there are coaches that certainly have it, whatever it is. They consistently have their teams winning at least eight games a year, even in their down years, like Tom and John Harbaugh. I mean, Doug Pearson's the Eagles have been terrible this year. Don't get me wrong, but they won what? I mean, they played the playoffs last year, but like Greg Wurst, their top receiving option. And the offensive line that year was banged up too. So there are some coaches that put together squads that even when they're banged up their injuries are still competing for the playoffs. And there are some coaches that when they're, when they're healthy, your team for some reason is still finding ways to lose. And when they're banged up, they're worse. So Vic Fangio, Adam Gase, guys like Zach Taylor in Cincinnati to me, these are all Matt Patricia in Detroit, Dan Quinn now in Atlanta. These are all guys who are going to be fired after this year or should be fired after this year. And I think we could see a situation where seven or eight head coaches could be fired after this year. I think Mike Zimmer, if the Vikings keep losing, I know we got an extension recently, but if the Vikings keep losing and they end up winning three or four games this year, I think you have to fire him because he's had a lot of chances and he's had a lot of good teams. And he hasn't been able to win games. So I think we could see a situation where plenty of teams are fired this year or plenty of coaches are fired this year. But at the top of the list, obviously, Zach Taylor, Adam Gase, Vic Fangio. Those three, in my opinion, have to be gone. And I know I said I've previewed this game. I really haven't previewed this game. I've really just been ranting about how bad these teams are. But that's really the preview of the game. It's basically going to be how bad are these two teams going to play. Because Denver's on the third-string quarterback. Sam Dalton threw three picks last week and two pick sixes. And Xavier Rhodes had a terrible year in Minnesota. Cash, and I think he got two of those picks. And that tells you really the point that they're not playing at a competitive level. They're playing at a high level. Both teams have pieces. I think the Broncos are definitely the more talented team, both on offense and defense. So if I had to pick a winner, I would say Denver's going to be the winner. And I think Fangio is a little bit better of a head coach, too, than Adam Gase. I don't think it's a huge difference, honestly, between those two. I don't think it's a significant difference because I think they're both poor. But he's a little better. And defense is a little better in Denver. They have more star players. They have a running game. They have Melvin Gordon which is something I don't think New York will have. And they've got enough you know, pieces. I think Denver has to be a clear favorite over the Jets here for me. I'll take the Denver Broncos to win this game. But I've been wrong, I'm pretty sure, on both of the last Thursday night football games that happened, I think. So I wouldn't take my word for it. But that's really my preview of the Thursday night game. And we're going to wrap this show up. I'll try. Maybe I'll go in our 10 minutes here. I right, only have four viewers, but we'll go in our 10 minutes. I'll talk about some of the most – disappointing players from the current season. These are guys who I thought, or we all thought, do much better than they have so far this year. And it's not necessarily all their faults. Their teams and their organizations have been a little up and down as well. But these players certainly have not helped themselves in what they've been able to achieve throughout the year. Kirk Cousins, to me, is one of the most disappointing players from the season. Now, granted, he had a little bit of a bounce-back game this past week against Tennessee, but his stat line right now is he's completing 59% of his past attempts. That's after completing 69% in 2019 and 70% in 2018. So he's been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, actually going back by five or six years at this point. But he's completing less than 60% of his past attempts. He has 623 yards, five touchdowns, and six interceptions. He threw six interceptions all of last year. He already has six through three games. And part of this has been the offense they've been running. I think they have a new OC in there. They've been trying to change things up a little bit. He's not really playing to his strengths. You could put this on coaching, but also this is on execution as well. You cannot throw six picks in your first three games. 
especially because this is so different from what we've seen from him in the past. I we can only be disappointed. You really have no one else to blame but the organization and the player at this point. They have to be tied together, I think. Because this is not a situation where just the coaching itself has gone awry. Kirk Cousins has been bad. And Kirk Cousins is a guy when he's at his peak is probably a top 12 quarterback, top 13 quarterback in the NFL. But he's just been horrible this week, this year so far. And so have the Minnesota Vikings, which could lead to Mike Zimmer getting fired at the end of the year. Another quarterback. They've been a lot of quarterbacks, by the way, I've been disappointed in this year. So I'm just going to let you know. There are five or six of them. Philip Rivers. Now, Philip Rivers is actually leading the NFL, completing 78.3% of his pass steps, which sounds good. Except he's been limiting the number of pass steps he has per game. Or game after Colts have been limiting the number. Because when he came out, we went through 46 times. They lost to Jacksonville. This is not a quarterback you can throw the ball with 30 to 40 times a game anymore and win football games. If you're the Colts, you have to run 30 to 40 times a game and throw 20 to 25. Because Philip Rivers is at the point in his career where he's no longer an elite quarterback and he's no longer a viable starter who will compete at a high level by himself and carry teams. That's not going to happen. He is at a point where he is degrading. I think we can see that. And he's probably not going to be in the NFL if he decides to leave in the atmosphere this year. I, think I forget if he's a one- or two-year deal with the Colts. But he's no longer a qualified starter on a championship team, in my opinion. It would be very difficult for him to lead the Colts anywhere just because you can't ask him to throw 30 or four times a game because you will lose that game. Speaking of someone you don't want throwing 30 or 4 times a game, how about Carson Wentz? They really have no choice but to throw 30 or 4 times a game. Everything else on that team, the offensive line, it's been so bad. You have to throw a lot to try to win those games. But he's thrown six interceptions as well. And in each of the past three years, 2017, 2018, and 2019, he only threw seven interceptions each of those years. And he's already thrown six this year, just three touchdowns, completing under 60% of his past attempts as well. The Eagles, I don't know what's going on with the Eagles. I know the offensive line's been banged up. I know the wide receiver core has been banged up. I know Zach uh, Dallas Guard, sorry, he's going on the short and IR like three weeks. So you're missing a lot of your receiving options. But I don't think that's a good excuse for Carson Wentz because we saw him carry a team with limited no receiving options last year to the playoffs. Granted, the offensive line's been much worse this year, but he's still playing t- terribly. He's making a lot of bad throws. It's not just the numbers. If you watch him play against Cincinnati, he made throws in double-triple coverage. That just should not have been made. These are rookie-level mistakes he's making right now. And I don't know if it's because his confidence is shattered or what's going on. But Carson Wentz right now has been a massive disappointment. And it's, like I said, it's not just the numbers. That, it's not just him playing with the bad teammates. Or not bad teams, per se, but low-level players. It's just that he's been making really bad decisions. And then Deshaun Watson. I'm from Clemson. I go to Clemson. And I'm a huge Deshaun Watson fan. I think at his peak, he'll be an elite quarterback. He'll be a potentially a top-five QB. But the Houston Texans are 0-3 right now. While Deshaun is completing over 67% of his pass attempts, he has four touchdowns, but he has three interceptions. That's the one thing I think he needs to cut down. He had 12 interceptions last year. If he wants to be a truly elite QB, he needs to cut down the interception totals. He already has three this year, which is not very good to start, which is not a very good start to the year. However, if I'm going to write off anyone on this list as not being at fault for their current situation, it would be Deshaun Watson. Because Bill O'Brien's at fault for most of this decision. Because they have not built a good offensive line. 
They've overpaid Laramie Tunsil. They traded DeAndre Hopkins, a top three receiver, who is now thriving in Arizona, for David Johnson, a running back who was clearly washed up and hadn't played well for two or three years. And didn't even get a first-round pick along with that to draft a sure number one throw. So I think Deshaun Watson, it's a disappointing season for him and the Houston Texans so far. It's not Deshaun's fault, but I have to call it like it is. It's a disappointing year for the former national champion. Uh, Sam Darnold could be in that category, but we already talked about him quite a bit. Mitchell Trubisky, I mean, this is uh, it's just really even a surprise. I mean, you could throw him, Dwayne Haskins in here. This just are not good quarterbacks. These two are just not good QBs. They're not NFL starters. And it's clear that they struggle making use of the basic throws that most quarterbacks should be asked to make at the NFL level. Trubisky, it's it's also a mental game. Trubisky's been mentally pushed around at points throughout his career. And we're seeing that he's crumbling now. And especially because Nick Foles came into the Atlanta game and led the, led the comeback three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, I believe. To beat the Atlanta Falcons, you were never going to get that from Mitchell Trubisky, and that really what that's really what separates qualified quarterbacks, even someone like Nick Foles, from Mitchell Trubisky is that they will be able to take advantage of what defenses give them and make all the throws you have to make. Trubisky, Haskins, those guys cannot make those kind of throws. And I guess we'll just cover one more position here because I don't really want to go on too much longer. We're over thirty minutes already. But Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon is not at fault here for most of the shortcomings he's faced so far. I would blame this almost all the time on the Bengals coaching and Bengals offensive line. Because we saw Mixon average over 100 yards rushing per game through the final eight weeks of last season. This offensive line is just terrible, though. The offensive line has not helped him at all. It hasn't helped Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's taking so many hits a game. He'll get hurt at some point just because the offensive line is so bad. And Mixon, through three games, he's averaging over 50 rushing yards per game. I can't blame him. He signed. He did sign a really big contract recently, so you'd expect more from him. But I can't entirely blame Joe Mixon because it really has been a situation since tonight where the offensive line, the coaching, and play calling have all gelled together to create a horrible mishmash that is hurting the production of guys like Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon. But I'm seeing that our viewership has dropped off almost entirely. So I'm going to end the show here, guys. Remember, check out Replenishing Karen Technologies and the PEMF machine. If you're old or young, they'll help you recover faster. So please check out our sponsor. Remember, you can check out thegruelingtruth.com for all of our latest articles. Check out the Grueling Truth Facebook page for all our live streams and all our shows. There, that just should be there. Please drop in, drop a like, leave a comment. We appreciate any kind of interaction you can give us. But for now, you've been listening to and watching The Grueling Truth for The Legend Speak. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.